Now, before we get into our opening shifts regarding the Boston Bruins and all things Bruins related, we didn't talk about this pre-podcast, but I got to come out here and blitz Scott McLaughlin. Scotty, what happened to your BU Terriers this weekend? Getting swept by BC in the Battle of Comav on Nesson and with National and, and uh, North American attention on these games. Yeah, t- tough weekend. Got to give credit to BC. They were much more opportunistic team. Uh, got better goaltending on the weekend. I, th- I think it's clear that the teams are close. I mean, both teams are close. BU had territorial advantage, had chances at times. Like, it's not a huge difference there, but BC made the couple extra plays. That all freshman line of Perot, Smith, and Leonard was disgusting all weekend. Uh, they scored four of their goals. Um, yeah, BU's got to use it as a learning opportunity that they hadn't lost since November. I think, you know, maybe, you know, they're feeling pretty high and mighty. And this weekend was certainly a wake up call. So they better use it that way. They've, they've got a week to, to get right. And then they face them again in the bean pot. I was going to say, it's going to make the bean pot very interesting. I like that you just totally sneak attacked him with that, Brian. That was great. Um, I totally approve. Uh, and, <laughs> I, I and... was fairly certain it was coming up at some point. So. <laughs> not but, not, but not off the hop. Not off the hop. <laughs> we're, we're talking pre, pre-recording about what we're going to discuss, and I, this never came up. So I just I, I knew I was going to blitz Scott about this. But, I mean, Scott, yeah, what, no. what happened with, uh, with Celebrini and, and Lynn Hudson? Uh, it just kind of they were quiet until the last minute for Celebrini. Like that's d- does BU kind of ride or die with those two players? Um, I mean, look, any any college team to an extent is going to ride or die with their stars. I, I do think BU has pretty good depth, but yeah, certainly you you want more from them. They you know they didn't have a point until late in the third period Saturday. Uh, Celebrini scores. Hudson gets an assist on it. That they had some chances. Celebrini had 12 shots on goal for the weekend. Um, but you know, I, I think when they get frustrated, it's like they're missing just the one extra like oomph in their attack. It's like they'll have possession, they'll take shots from the outside, but it's like get to the inside, like get to the front. They, like they just need that little extra drive. Um but yeah, it, you know, and again, credit to BC. The the Gautier line with uh, to the two Bruins prospects on the wings, Yelvik and Gasso, they were up against the Celebrini line a lot. And again, Celebrini had his chances, but I think they did about as good of a job as any any line could reasonably do against Celebrini. Yeah, well, now, they're they're both a... tied. now they're tied in the standings. And uh, Scott, did you go to both games? Yes, he did. He did. So he's jinx, is what I was. He was Scott was Scott was underneath the the white banner at Aganis that said "Not from Boston," referring to the BU stance. (laughs) He was he was the one holding it up. Yeah, I actually made it. Yeah, (laughs) that's how I spent last week making a giant like section wide banner. Is that why you took you took a break from writing to to make those signs? Right. Yeah. Well, he was he was still writing, just not just not as many words. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, I think there's gonna there's, so there's gonna be a bit of a. It was pretty cool on on the fr- uh, Friday night broadcast of Nesson. Um, in in one of the intermissions, they had one of the college hockey like poll uh, uh, analysts or one of the individuals who takes part in like the rankings for college hockey and, and what goes into the rankings each and every week. And it was it was a lot actually. It was pretty fascinating. So I I imagine that BC will leapfrog BU, but if if those teams are 
being being honest, I think there's some bragging rights at the Garden um, in February that probably means, you know, a little something extra. Yeah, You're I mean, cheering in the press box, Scott. Never, never, ever. But yeah, I mean, realistically, like they they can't face on the Beanpot final because they're facing the first week. But that's, that's that should essentially be the Beanpot final. Either one of them should beat Northeastern or, or Harvard. But yeah, you could see these teams competing for Hockey East Championship, National Championship, Frozen Four, like wherever it's. Um, yeah, BC is going to be number one. They're number one in the pairwise, deservedly so. BU dropped to three in the pairwise. They'll. My guess is they might end up three in the polls on Monday afternoon too. But either way, like they're they're still two of the top teams. But yeah, for now, BC gets the bragging rights. All right. Well, I I, I promise the listeners that we are going to shift gears to the Bruins. Now I just had to get Scott's thoughts off the hop. That's that should be a segment. Scott's thoughts. <laughs> I like that one. All right. Um, so the as Bruins. Long as were the... Use the Scott's face on a popcorn graphic. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so the Bruins finished the first, the unofficial first half of the NHL season, heading into the all-star break with a six 2 win over the Flyers in Philadelphia. Uh, the Flyers honored former Bruin and Stanley Cup champion with the Bruins, uh, Mark Recchi, who went to the Philadelphia Flyers Hall of Fame. Um, and, you know, it just topped off an amazing first half for this Bruins team, uh, finishing the first half with first place rights in the division, the conference, and the league overall. Um, let's hop into the opening shifts. And Bridget, why don't we start with you? All right, sure. Yeah, so this this isn't just something that happened in the Flyers game. This is something that's kind of been a trend. Um, and Charlie McAvoy recently has been bringing the offense again. He scored and he had an assist against the Flyers, but he also has um, had four points in the last five games. He's His plus minus has been starting to tick up and up and up. He had he was plus five just in that Montreal game, <laughs> which is obviously going to going to do a favor for you in that stat category. And we've talked about the plus minus. I can already see Scott trying to open his mouth and say something about plus minus over here. Um, but no, just wait a second. Fine. Okay. Just wait a second. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so yeah, Charlie McAvoy, we had talked about how he had in the past been more offensively involved than at certain points this season. And now we're, we're seeing that, um, that back in his game recently and, and going to the net, he scored, um, while he was kind of sneaking back door, great pass by Zaka, by the way, um, with McAvoy sneaking towards the net. So he's, he's jumping in, he's feeling confident and, uh, in general, just was a great win, like for confidence or just for, you know, feeling good about yourself before the break for the Bruins. Yeah. And so my, my opening shift will start with the game and expand a little bit from there, but David Pasenak just completely took over uh, late in the first period. I thought the Bruins actually started pretty slow. Flyers were up 9-4 in shots at one point, and it looked like looked like it might be another game like the Ottawa game where it's like, all right, well, just grind through, find a way to get a couple points and get into the all-star break and regroup. Instead, Pasenak just totally takes over, scores the first goal with a snapper off the rush, uses the defenseman as a screen. Doesn't get a point in the second goal, but he does all the work down low to, to help set it up. Um, then they score on his next shift. The next time he's out there, he ends up collecting a rebound. Him and Vin Reamsdyke go to work on the four check. He collects a rebound and scores. 
first shift of the second period, he sets up Van Riemsdyk for a goal. That line, I think Van Riemsdyk was off the ice for one of them on a change, but him, Pasanak and Zaka, four straight shifts, the Bruins scored that they were on the ice. Like, just just insane. And at that point, it's it's game over. Like, it, it was 4 nothing at the end of one, you know, f- five by the time uh, Pasanak has, you know, like I said, set of Van Riemsdyk, that first goal in the second period. Um, and just caps off a tremendous pre-All-Star break stretch for Pasternak, uh, where he is now sitting at 72 points in 49 games, 33 goals, 39 assists. He's third in the NHL in both goals and points, and again, on pace to surpass his 113 points from last season and set a new career high again. So just a phenomenal... Again, we're going to say first half just because it's the all-star break, obviously a little bit past the first half, but um, yeah, he, he takes over and has, you know, a star moment heading into the all-star game. Yeah. And, and with Van Riemsdyk, he, Van Riemsdyk did to the Flyers what he's been doing to the Bruins for the past several years. Like James Van Riemsdyk used to just put up points against the Bruins and he was a frustrating player Uh when he was on the Flyers for Boston to deal with it now, they, they kind of got a taste of it right back at him when Van Riemsdyk played uh, against them. Well, and and sticking it to John Tortorella a little bit. Like, they things did not end well between the two of them there. And, um, and Van Riemsdyk obviously had a down year last year. So, I'm sure, it felt great for him to show that, you know, he still has it. He's been showing that all season. But to go out and have a three-point game, um, in Philly, you know, with torts on the other bench. Yeah, it's always funny. I always, you know, at least find it amusing when he's just shaking his head, like Tortorella is just like pissed off, shaking his head on the bench. <laughs> and I just sit there and laugh like this. One of the better sights in, in the NHL is when, when he's just fuming. Tortorella has that face on the bench. Anytime his team isn't playing well, and and for the record, I I like Tortorella. Like I I I I like him. Um, but anytime his team's not playing well, or they give up a goal, or there's a bad call in the official by the officials, you'll always see him on the bench with his his like hand up against the glass, or just like arms crossed, just like shaking his head. And the the sarcastic smirk on his face of disbelief is like the face you have when you go through a drive through and you drive and you drive away and like you realize they forgot like half of your meal and you're just like. <laughs> You know what I mean? You're just like, what the, f-? you know what I mean? But um, anyway, so Scott, as far as Pasternak goes, there's a lot more to get into with him. Um, just where he is at his, uh, at this stage of his career in general and how much there is to like about his game outside of the goal scoring, which I think is, I think it's underrated. Um, I think he gets, there's, there's a narrative out there surrounding Pasternak that all he is is a goal scorer. And when he's not scoring goals, he's turning the puck over. And I just think it's, I think it's, um, that's one way to certainly not talk about 90% of the game that's happening out there. And I think that um, he deserves a lot of credit for what he does outside of scoring and and improving in those areas um, from the time he was 18 in the league to now he's like 27 or 28. Um, But also on Pasternak, uh, Kevin Paul DuPont tweeted this out six hours ago and it's, it's, everybody knows David Pasternak is one of the best goal scorers in the world. But um, since the beginning of last season, uh, he is he is the number one goal scorer in the world um, with uh, 94 goals since the start of last regular season. 
Uh, number two is Connor McDavid. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. Um, and he has 84 goals. So just really impressive, um, really impressive hockey by David Pasternak. And I think Bruins fans uh, should be, you know, lucky to watch him every night. Uh, for me, like, yeah, Scott, you mentioned it. A lot of first half chatter, unofficial first half chatter. That That's my opening shift. And we're going to dive into it more as, as the episode unfolds. But it's just, it's amazing what this what this hockey team has done this year um everybody involved deserves all the credit in the world because there's been so much turnover high-end turnover leadership turnover um the, the, this bruins team had every reason in the book every excuse in the book to have a flat out transition year i know that they have pillars in place in mcavoy and pashnak and you know marshan and Swin. i get all that but you know what so do the Pittsburgh Penguins in guys like Crosby and Malkin, and they're having a down year. Like their teams have pillars and have transition years all the time. And this Bruins team found a way to not only avoid that, but continue to be the class of the NHL, um, certainly in the standings over the last two calendar years. And, and there's a lot of reasons for it, a lot of surprising reasons for it, but that's just my opening shift. There's a lot of directions to go, but just First half of the season, unofficial first half of the season over. Bruins are first in their division, conference, in the league, and looking like they deserve to be where they are in the standings and doing it. Yeah, fewest losses in the whole NHL up to this point. Only have nine losses. They haven't even lost in regulation ten times yet. <laughs> and we thought, like, we didn't think they were going to miss the playoffs when we did our preseason predictions. We also did not predict them to be not just first in the conference, but first in the league. They're tied with Vancouver right now. Um, and they've played the exact same amount of games as Vancouver. So they're, they're even, uh, at top at the top of the standings, but who would have thought that they would once again, not have, uh, 10 losses by the all-star break. Yeah. It, it's great. Like, I remember, you know, we were talking about how these teams that have historic regular seasons and then collapse in the playoffs, like there's examples of teams that learn from that and come back and win the next year. Right. The, the 95-96 Red Wings lost to the Avs in the conference finals, came back, won the next two cups, actually. The 18-19 Lightning, that embarrassing sweep at the hands of Columbus in the first round, they came back and won the next two cups. And we were like, well, that unfortunately, that might not apply to the Bruins because there might just be so much turnover that even if, even if they do learn those lessons and the guys who come back are more dialed in and and better prepared the next time around they just might not have the talent to realistically be a cup contender and i think we're all you know reshaping that opinion like it, it you look at what they've done and it's like how can you not call them a cup contender right now they're brian you mentioned where they are in the standings even beyond that i was looking at five on five goal differential today because that tends to be pretty important you know Playoffs are often won and lost uh, at five on five, and they're they're a plus thirty four at five on five. Only the Vancouver Canucks and Winnipeg Jets are ahead of them, plus forty one and plus forty three. And then after that, no one else is better than plus seventeen. So it's like three teams that are more than double anyone else in the league, and the Bruins obviously the only one of those in the Eastern Conference. So yeah, like we all probably have, you know, question marks, things we still want answered in the second half, things, you know, we're going to be talking about what do they do at the trade deadline and all that, but the foundation is is there. Like the, the goaltending has once again been great. 
defense hasn't always been perfect, but for the most part, it's still been a strong suit. And now the way the offense has come along, especially since Christmas, I've mentioned this before, but it remains true. They're the top scoring offense in the NHL since Christmas. They're now up to sixth in the season, and they're like a goal or two from being fourth. So, it, you know, we had all these concerns about even early this season. I was like, well, they kind of look like a middle-of-the-pack offense. Is that really get good enough? Well, they're not middle-of-the-pack anymore. They've they've climbed way up. It's maybe another uh, Bruins-Vancouver Stanley Cup final. That would be a <laughs> lot of fun. And for Bruins fans, uh, they want the same result. And uh, Vancouver, maybe, maybe not so much. Uh, maybe they wouldn't want that matchup but I, it could happen could happen those are the top two teams in the league right now it'd be kind of kind of weird funny deja vu situation uh if that were to happen obviously we're still a long way away from that uh I'd be I'd be happy with that though um but yeah you you talk about the offense coming back up to par and this is huge too and I'm gonna knock on wood on my desk right here because obviously talking about injuries, you, you never want to jinx anything, but they've in the last few weeks, they've gotten back their injured players. Like Derek Forbert's come back into the lineup. Allmark um, didn't end up being back until out Saturday as, until Saturday. Yeah, he'll, but he's not back on long-term IR though. Right. Like he's not, well, we, we don't know. He has to undergo no. further testing. I mean, it sounds like it was probably a setback of the same thing. So yeah. I, Unfortunately, I don't have warm, fuzzy feelings about that. I think that that might be a. Do you guys? Do you guys know that? Do you guys know that video of like, um, uh, like somebody filming like a college classroom or something like that, and it's like a like an old professor, and he every single day he walks in the same way, with like a just the same outfit, just different colors, and he goes hi, hi, whatever. That's what I feel like. Forward's like with these injuries, like. It's like every other game he comes back and he comes out with a, with an injury. It's always something like that. But that's the style of hockey he plays, right? He's, he's paid to eat to eat pucks. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I'm not even sure it's necessarily like related to blocking shots because I'm pretty sure it's a groin injury he's been dealing with. I think I, th- I think that's out there. I think, like, either Kevin Paul DuPont or Steve Conroy reported that. Um, unfortunately, that's the kind of thing that just lingers and – we had talked about after that Ottawa game, how, you know, we only played, I think it was like 12 minutes and only one minute on the PK. And I was like, well, I wonder if originally they were hoping to rest them that night. And you don't know, like, you know, I, I don't necessarily think they pushed them too hard or whatever. Like a, a re-aggravation can happen anytime. It can happen in practice, but it just sucks. Like it clearly, he just has not been able to get healthy and stay healthy this year. And now he's, you know, dealing with it again. Yeah. So what I was saying is, you know, obviously it was nice that forward came back. They're relatively healthy. Um, Like my main point was that it would have been huge if they had lost Omar in the last few weeks, but him coming back and playing the way he's played, uh, they still have both of their goalies healthy, uh, which is huge. And uh, if forward is back down for a little bit, then that's that's obviously an injury that hurts your penalty kill. Though they've been getting it done without him, um, and other other players have stepped up in the meantime, like like Weatherspoon and um, you know Lorai has been able to be someone that could be counted on when he's been called up. So I think that if you if you think about the the variables, the unknowns that we had at the start of the year, the the main one was center depth. 
And I feel like because of the way that Coyle's played and and Zaka is still a, a good center. He he maybe hasn't taken the role and run with it. We thought maybe he might be taken over for Bergeron. Seems like Coyle has more um, stepped up a little bit than than Zaka, but still both of them are, are great centers. The question at center, it doesn't feel like a huge issue anymore. Like Morgan Geeky has been good when called upon at center. Matt Potra is still a work in progress, but he can he can give you um, what you need at center as well. So they they haven't struggled in that. And that that was like the big offseason question. Yeah. And there, again, there's there's so many there's so many different individuals pulling on the rope as to why they are where they are right now. Um, and, and so, so the, the center conversation, I'll put that off to the side for right this second and come back to it. But like when we were talking earlier this year, um, off season, preseason, you know, even up until whatever, like month and a half, two months ago, it was kind of like, they're going to have to rely on their goaltending and their defense. And they were, they were relying on their goaltending heavily in the, in the, in the first month and a half of the season, the defense was bending a lot. And the reason that the defense wasn't breaking was because the goaltending was, was standing on their head. Um, but even still, like we, we figured that defense and goaltending would structure this team to be in every single game. And they have a superstar in David Pasternak and a couple of other, and a, a star in Brad Marchand and some complimentary players enough around them to score enough goals to get them to a playoff position. Well, I don't think anybody on this podcast anticipated and many fans didn't anticipate was just how much depth scoring, consistent depth scoring you were going to get beyond the Bruins top offensive players. And now you're talking about a team that's as Scott mentioned, all the analytics tell you this, especially five on five. It's like, they're not relying on goal taking in defense, every aspect of the game, even strength, special teams, um, all facets, everybody's playing well. And Bridget, you mentioned Morgan Geeky. Like, I mean, Morgan Geeky has got 23 points in 43 games. Trent Frederick, we've talked about approaching 30 points in 50 games. DeBrusque, 25 points after a slow start. A lot of those points coming in recent weeks. Um, Heinen's, you know, 18 points. James Van Reems, like 32 points, 45 games. Like, that is production from players that we we could have hoped for, best case scenario but didn't realistically think that would happen. And it is. And the center depth. Yeah. That's another storyline, but it, everybody pulling on the rope is, is such, it's the key to where, why they are, where they are. Yeah. We, like we talked last year about how, how many guys had career years points wise. And it's like, well, that's just one of those seasons that like, you know, you can't, you can't duplicate, you know, that many guys having career years. Well, Charlie Coyle is going to have the most points of his career. Trent Frederick's going to have the most points of his career. Pavel Zak is right in line with his career high from last year. Um, you know, well, Van like is Morgan Geeky is going to have a career high. Like, yeah, and and Van David Pasternak might have a career high again, which is crazy. <laughs> Brad Marshall might have a career high in goals. Like, it, it, they are getting guys stepping up again, and it's, um, you know, those guys who have stepped up over what we maybe thought their ceiling was, who have pushed it higher, and then Brian, like you mentioned. It, you know, you got to give credit to like the value signings, as, especially Van Riemsdyk and Heinen, um, as guys are just stepping up and, and, like you said, providing that secondary scoring. 
And even like even Patra, who none of us have mentioned. Now he, Patra has slowed down his production, and he's been utilized in a, in a in a weird way with the with the set days off, being a younger player, um, getting acclimated to the pro level, um, going to World Juniors. He's been battling some injury. He talked about lingering issues with with Forbert. I think Patra has some sort of shoulder injury that doesn't easily get solved, or something like that, maybe. Well, I think so. I guess we don't know for sure, but Montgomery was asked if the injuries were lingering, and he said one of them's lingering, one of them's new. So I guess yeah. I'm thinking Forbes is lingering, but I guess it's possible that it's Patra lingered and and Forbes new. But I think it's yeah. probably the other. I think it might be a new thing for Patra. Well, point being, he's battling right, and he's and he's contributing the best that he can. It, in his first go around as a pro um, Mason Lori, when called up has been producing. Um, I think you're starting to see some, some fans aren't really high on Jesper Boquist. I, I like him. I think I like his speed. I like his, I like his offensive, um, his natural offensive gifts. I just think he hasn't put them all together. I also think he's a little, a little bit snake bit and he's had some really good scoring chances. Um, I, I like Boquist's speed. And I, I like him in a fourth line role. Parker Watherspoon, we've talked about, has stepped up. Um, there's just anybody that's called that's that's called to put on a jersey this year. Like they've done, they, they've they've contributed. Even if they go back down to Providence for a little bit, they come right back and they and they help out. So just contributions everywhere. 